1: So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, this
0: is footballistically Arsenal. I'm Boyd Hill, as uh, still here, as is Josh Landy. Hello,
2: Josh. How are you? Boyd, I'm well. I'm excited that Arsenal are back in training, I guess. Are you excited by that?
0: Very excited, so excited that I watched the Sky News coverage um, of it. I tweeted uh, earlier that um, they had a kind of helicopter uh, hovering over London Colney, the Arsenal training ground, and you could clearly see uh, Saka and I think it was um, Aubameyang kind of about 50 metres apart, kind of standing there, jumping up and down a bit. Yeah, I was very excited. Uh, But even more exciting than that, perhaps, is our guest this week, who is a football journalist extraordinaire, actual proper football journalist, James Olly. Welcome, James. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us. We've had, um, in in the kind of, um, in the viral um, shows, as I'm calling them, we've had over the last, during this whole period, we've had, we have a guest a week and, um, you know, we've had broadcasting legends, we've had um, celebrities, we've had TV producers, and we kind of talked to them about the Arsenal situation at the moment and also themselves and I think with you particularly it's great to have you on this week because I thought it was good to get a journalist a proper football journalist who's a regular on the podcast particularly you've just you've just got a new job you're now working for ESPN so congratulations on that thank you and I thought interesting. maybe in the second half we'll talk about all the various topical Arsenal and stuff to deal with first but um, just generally about how you became a football journalist, because it's the dream, you're living the dream of a lot of people out there, I think, who kind of would, you know, their absolute dream would be to write about football for a living. So kind of roughly how that happened and, and how, um, you know, maybe how, in fact, young people, if they want to become football journalists, should go about it, because particularly my nephew's best mate, um, who's an Arsenal fan, a big Arsenal fan, and he's kind of got his own, starting his own podcast and presence online and everything he definitely wants to be a football journalist he kind of is already but i thought we'd talk about that if that's okay but
2: boy are you about yes. to ask some work experience from james it's not basically the, not yeah. the right place for that <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i'll be asking work no 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 not at all no this guy I, I mean you know we'll talk about it later but you know this guy's already kind of developing his own online presence which i think maybe it's the way to go in the stage but we'll talk about that now i wasn't i wasn't going for the work experience line although you know he knows but we should start this time last week when we um did our podcast last week Josh, we talked about Arsenal had just issued the statement about um, how they negotiated with all the players and they'd agreed with the players to take the wage deferral, whatever it is, and all of that. And it was all, you know, it was all lovely. And we were talking about how great that was and everything. And then literally, 10 minutes after we finished recording, um, all the football journalists, including James, pointed out that, well, Ozil hadn't um, agreed to it yet, and that, that um, he was holding out and looking into, I thought, so luckily James is in there. So James, let's talk about this to start with. What is the current situation with the whole Arsenal um, getting the players to to defer the wage, etc.? And is it true that it's Stephanie Ozil that is one of these three players um, who's holding out? And why, why is he holding out? What's your feeling about it?
3: Well... It is true that Url is one of one of the few. Um, he's not alone in having had some reservations about this. I think it's quite important to state that you know this these talks have been going on for a while and 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 the players themselves held a couple of mm-hmm. votes. Um, which were, I mean, you're talking about double-figure number who were voting against this the first time they voted on taking a pay cut originally. So this was all a bit of a stalemate until Mikel Arteta himself got involved, really on behalf of the club, to try and bring everyone together. And he apparently, on a conference call with them all, essentially said, look, you know, um, we need to pull together as a club. There's a, There's obviously a wider global issue here that is going to affect everybody in in various ways and and we need essentially everyone to do their bit. And, um, you know, Arsenal have their own sort of specific financial picture that he tried to relate to them and tried to get everyone on board. But, you know, the the situation is at the moment that almost all of them have agreed to this 12.5% cut over 12 months. But the issue... Is outstanding for two or three of them, uh, of which Özil is one, and has been quite vocal about this. Not least because he wants to understand a few things. Firstly, why is it twelve months? When Well, I suppose the first thing is, why is it a cut and not a deferral? Every other club at the moment is, is, uh, that's gone public with their plans over this has been a deferral. Chelsea got close to a 10% cut with their players, but they've ended up scrapping that in favour of the, the the Chelsea players promoting charities and, and local charity work. Um, so why is it they're the only club that have taken a cut? Why is it 12 months when the deferrals in the other club's cases have been three or four months in 12 months time, although clearly the the, the repercussions of coronavirus are probably going to last for years? we should have settled in certainly in football terms. We should have settled into something approaching a rhythm in 12 months time. So why is that cut for, for 12 months? And really what, what is it going to mean for the future of the club? Will it mean that players, they sign in the summer or whenever the transfer window is, are they going to be asked to take a cut, where will the money go? Will that go back to a transfer budget? Will it go back to the fans in in some form of you know reducing season ticket prices or, or, or entry or something as a kind of you know uh, give back to the to the supporters who've obviously been through it as we all have and all will be for the next few weeks and months. Um, and I think. To be fair, he's taken quite a mature stance with it, and and there are he's not alone in that. There are a lot of other players who are sort of suggesting, well, you know, for various reasons, w- why is it a cut and not a deferral? So these talks are ongoing, as far as I'm aware. The um, I don't think it's got acrimonious. I don't think there's any sort of you know breakdown in communication necessarily. I think Urzel's made it quite clear through his uh, intermediaries that he's quite happy to take a cut and in fact it being the highest earner he'd probably take a bigger cut than the 12.5% that's been agreed with some of the other players it's just that he wants more of a clarification about exactly how this money um, is spent and what it means for the future of the club and Look, I, I think fundamentally this should have been a really positive PR story for Arsenal. They could, you know, if they'd owned this yeah. in a different way, they would, they could have been the first club to say, you know, the footballers have taken a lot of stick in the last few weeks because of the money they earn and that this this idea that they've not given anything back and they're sort of insulated while the rest of the world is dealing with the financial uh, or starting to realise the financial implications of, of COVID nineteen. You know, this was a really positive PR story, and actually by announcing it slightly prematurely that they got. An agreement with the squad when they hadn't, mm. they've kind of they've kind of made a bit of a mess of it. it can I, a, a couple of things
0: come to mind. And I thought this week when first of all, do you know why um, it, it's emerged that Urza was one of the players who is holding out or you know is wanting more information? As you say, and yet the other players who who are not who didn't agree to it haven't been named or haven't been. Is, what's the reason for that? Do you think?
3: Um, I would. <sighs> This is a tricky area. I would would say that the leak about Ozil did not come from anyone close to the player. Oh, okay. I would suggest that that has come from elsewhere and people can read into that what they will given the Mm. wider context that he has a contract that is up uh, in the summer of 2021. And look, I mean... (laughs) I, I, would, I would be surprised. I mean, my understanding is that one of the other players is quite, is quite a junior player. Mm. Um, part of the first-team squad, obviously, but, but he's not a, certainly not an established senior figure within the squad. And therefore, I think it would be unfair to name. I mean, you could argue it would be unfair to name any of them. But the way that that leak came out, it did seem a little bit like Urza was singled out because of the money. That he earns, mm-hmm. and because of the, the wider picture, that he, you know, I, I he's not going to be at the club beyond 2021. That just I just can't see how that's going to happen. As far as I'm aware, there haven't been any contract talks um over an extension. And you know, although the managerial situation's changed, and I think he gets on quite well with Mikel Arteta, it, it was an open secret that the club tried to sell him last summer. So, and again in January, by the way, so they were they were list, they were opening to offers in January. So. Um, I think that might be the reason behind yeah, that.
0: That makes sense, yeah. And the other thing that struck, struck me is, um, you, you know, he's if he's looking at the at the complications of, of surrounding and which seems fair enough. But like, why? You know, there, there are loads of intelligent. You know, there's lots of Hector Bellerin and you know, you think who, who, you know, looking at it from a from a looking at all the complications, they aren't necessarily. You know, they, and, and he Mikel Arteta himself seemed to be key in getting everyone to agree, apart from the ones that, that are holding out. It, I don't know, it just seems, is there another agenda maybe? That, like I know his agent was on, wasn't he, a few days before um, this was all announced or it was leaked about whose agent was on Five Lives, their, their um, thing, I think, on a Sunday afternoon where they have a European football show now, kind of talking about being quite outspoken about, you know, why are clubs doing this cut wage cut and all of that? Is that anything to do with it? And he was clearly making, talking about making a starts then. So I just wondered whether... You know, there's more to this than it's a complicated It seems more complicated, perhaps, than than people make
3: out. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there are wheels within wheels here. I mean, mm. um, look, I mean, I don't know exactly who leaked it, but um, I, I I could limit it to probably two or three people, and um, they would all have a motivation to, um. M- put the emphasis on the players to come to the table, if that makes sense. I think that's probably the best way I can put it. Right. Uh, sorry, I don't, I don't
0: like, want to get you in trouble,
3: by the way. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it, you can understand it is yeah. it's a difficult cool situation because I do talk to sort of both sides about yeah. this and, and, and various things on a regular basis and their relationships to maintain and, and what have you. What I would say is that I, I do think that T- taking aside measure as a player and there are times you know he's judged very harshly because of the money that he earns and sometimes he doesn't live up to that and i think just forget you know park all that for a minute as as a man i don't think he does himself the the best favors pr wise because he doesn't advertise a, an awful lot of the work that he does behind the scenes i mean he gives more than two million pounds away a year in charitable donations and and that from people who know him very well, that is a conservative figure, and he's he's personally involved in it in a and a lot of charity work. This isn't a sort of let's let's paint a positive picture and give a you know this is genuinely causes that are close to his heart. He's quite you know the money isn't really relevant here. I think he he does feel that um, you know this is part of a wider issue with Arsenal generally and and a lot of clubs are going to find this when they go back into the transfer market is you know it doesn't really say a lot about selling the vision of a club that is built to compete for trophies if you're asking players to take a pay cut in this situation it doesn't it doesn't engender the belief that The club is in a robust state to go and challenge for the biggest prizes, especially when you consider that Arsenal are obviously somebody, you know, a club that you would have to say need to invest to get back to the very top. They're going to, you know, they're going to need to buy better players. They're going to need to be clever in the market. No one expects them to be able to compete with the very best in terms of buying the most expensive players. But you know, that squad palpably needs an upgrade in a number of areas. And if you're asking players like Bamiyang, for example, to sign a new deal, you know, Bukayo Saka's got a year left on his contract, it does create Uh, you know questions for the players about well what is the ambition of this club going forward and how robust are they going to be to meet those ambitions if you're asking players at the first sign of what is obviously a serious global pandemic with a with a wide-ranging repercussions but at the first sign of that and we don't even know the full repercussions of it yet you're asking players to take a cut I think that is part of the the reason from Erzl's side that, that he's decided to to make a stand on this behind the scenes anyway yeah,
2: just, that makes it... just coming in here. Um, yeah, just James. Did you get any feeling like it? You know, we, we saw with Liverpool, we saw with Spurs um, a reversal of a decision to sort of talk about furloughing staff, and we've seen Newcastle, and Norwich stick by that decision. Did you ever get a sense that that was something Arsenal were considering? Just when you talk about the financial health of the club, because I don't know that many people in and around the club, but it, it, it's been interesting to talk to a few who. Have obviously been like kept employed, and there really isn't a lot for them to do at the moment, and and they're sort of you know earning the salaries, working from home, but there isn't a lot of work to, for them to do. I just wondered, do you think it ever crossed the club's mind, and they ideally would have furloughed, and it was just from a PR point of view, they decided they couldn't.
3: Um, I think it certainly crossed their minds. I, I mean, I know I, I know that several staff members were. I mean, living in fear is probably too dramatic a phrase, but certainly concerned about the sort of imminent possibility of it, knowing the wider financial picture. And clearly, if you're asking, you know, the players to do it, um, I think they were hoping that if they asked the players to do it, that that would be clearly the players are going to be earning an awful lot more than the staff are. So if they can get the players to agree to a sizable cut, it may be a case that the staff don't have to. Um, you know, furloughing furloughing non-playing staff has been a conversation at every single club across the country, and a more severe issue the lower down the pyramid you go. So, yeah, of course they'll they'll have discussed it. I think it's to their credit that for the time being, anyway, that they've they've shown uh, you know a willingness to to avoid it as much as they can.
0: It is odd, isn't it? Just just to go back to Usel for a second, Josh. Do you, there is the, also the issue of team team kind of. Um, you know kind of making sure you do what the team wants to do rather than um, kind of going out alone, do you feel in any way as just as a fan you know i I kind of feel i don't, I feel very conflicted about the whole story about Urzel. You know, not not going along with the rest of the team or Western team apart from a couple of other players, maybe, just because I think, well I see why he's you know wants to know more about the information that he wants to hold out, and he doesn't necessarily agree. And I know he gives huge amounts to charity, which is brilliant, as James was saying. Although, of course, also he was he did have that um, Turkish fascist dictator at his at his wedding, so you know he's not he's not like spotless morally. I feel but anyway, an That's yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. I just point that out to everyone because he's not an angel. But what, but. And also, I think, like, you know, is team morale important in this thing? And if the whole team have agreed to do something, don't you think maybe you should have just, just joined it rather than being, you know, nitpicking in inverted comments about the whole thing, Josh, or do you, do you don't think?
2: Sorry, boys. I, I lost a couple of words. i sorry.
0: There. My main question is, do you feel that – do you are you going along with Ozil's right to kind of hold out and to question this uh, situation? Arsenal have got the rest of the team to agree to, more or less. Yeah. Or do you think for team morale reasons, perhaps, he should have just gone along with it?
2: Well, I think when you're as big a person as Mesut Ozil, I think you've seen situations where he's been happy to go out kind of on a limb and not worry that much about public opinion and, and no, none more so maybe than the reaction in Germany and him ultimately calling it a day on his international career because of that friendship with Erdogan and the way that was portrayed. So I think when it's not surprising to see someone like him in his position be willing to go out on their own and i have heard um his agent whose name escapes me who I speak on five live on a number of occasions and and highlight some of that charity work not in a ostentatious sort of way but in a sort of matter of fact outlining that he does really care and he sort of isn't just donating money he's donating his time and showing a real care for the charitable causes that he supports so if, if he's taking a 12.5 percent pay cut i guess he wants to know well is that going to mean that, you know, the people in the, you know, in the marketing department or the commercial department or the ticket office, whoever it is, who don't really have any work to do or can't do any work at them, are they all being kept on? Is that, is that what my money's going to, or is it just going to save a billionaire American some money or, you know, making Mm. his losses slightly smaller? So I think, you know, if you're an individual, you're entitled to, to question that. And I just don't get the feeling he's such a, individual and sort of by far our most sort of, I guess, you know, he is our most high profile player, maybe with a Bamiyang. He's willing to take a stance on his own and say, look, I I think this is bigger, you know, than just going along with everyone else. And, you know, I respect everyone and everyone should do what they want, but I'm going to query it. But I think what we did say on the podcast last week, Boyd, is that announcement seemed to go, a bit too quick, like, you know, there the, the, was coming out, the squad was almost split evenly, and then suddenly it was all agreed, and I think I mentioned that one of the journalists had written, you know, earlier that day going, well, this isn't really the case, not everyone has agreed, and, and I it just totally agree with what James is saying, like, there's no pressure at the moment to release press releases, right, no one's waiting, like, you've got time to get these things right, and it's just, it's just a bit embarrassing that we haven't, I think.
3: Well, one thing I'll just to just to add on Erzul is that just sort of slightly reframe it is that I think he knows he's not going to be there, you know, beyond beyond the end of next season, whenever whenever that is. Um, and so he's in a slightly emboldened position to be able to push back against the pressure that a lot of and I, you know I've spoken to a lot of agents, a lot of families of players who did feel that they were slightly pressured into agreeing to the cut and. They're not necessarily, you know, if you're if you're a younger player, if you're trying to establish yourself in the team, I won't name any names here, but, you know, if you're trying to make your way, make your, a name for yourself, trying to further yourself, trying to ingratiate yourself to, who is still a relatively new manager at the club, it, what does it, you know, is it, are you really in a position to be able to say, well, actually, no, I'm not going to do what clearly the club want me to do. And the manager is now asking me very politely and, you know, without much coercion but firm but fair if you like is asking me to do it's very difficult to ask players to do that especially the young ones because they're not probably you know at 19, 20, 21, 22 I didn't really know how to handle my money very well let alone the, the amount that they get paid and the ramifications of it and all of those sort of things so obviously Mesut's a lot older he's he's a lot more experienced and he's got a lot less to lose in that regard so I think that, that might be why he, he certainly was a little bit more forthcoming as well Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, it's uh,
0: his, his agent is um, is uh, Dr. Erkut Zogut, uh, Josh. And uh, he is an interesting figure. Yeah, he is. He is, he is on Five Low quite a lot. It's fascinating. Yeah. Well, mo- moving on from the from the things specifically, then to I mean, interesting, isn't it? Maybe one of the reasons why Arsenal put that pressure release out, and they seem to be like wanting to be on the front foot. They're also the first Premier League club to have the players back, as we mentioned at the, at the beginning, back in training. So they were at least in very uh, in, in training that obeys all the rules of social distancing, etc. When they all went back to to a London Colney, James. What would you think? That's interesting as well, isn't it, that Arsenal seem to want to, you know, kind of be the first to do things. Do you think generally that's that's part of the uh, thinking on this? Um,
3: no, I mean, they, they were the first to go back, really, because they were the first to stop. I mean, uh, okay. you know, the, the Arteta um, positive test was the thing that really shut the Premier League down, wasn't it? I mean, he, yeah. he got tested on, on March the 10th. He was... Um, Tested that test came back positive on March the 12th, and then immediately they went into a 14 day uh, self isolation. The whole of the squad and the coaches, and, and for that following week, Tottenham, for example, were trained. I think they trained the whole of that next week, Um, and certainly several of the other clubs were training over that weekend. And you know, because obviously the weekend that that went into everybody thought there were going to be Premier League games and, you know, clubs were, were gearing up for that. And and it didn't, it, it, no no one really went into sort of full lockdown until the middle part of that, end part of that next week, whereas Arsenal were already already locked down. So I think they, they wanted to just um, have some sort of positive momentum. I mean, I think the other reasons behind doing it are, you know, my understanding of what happened today was not that, that I mean, there was no it's been called training. I suppose technically it is, but essentially all they've been doing is the individual programs that they've been doing at home. They are able to now do in uh, Colney. So it essentially means that rather than going to Hampstead Heath and, you know, running around where you might have difficulty maintaining social distancing if people spot you and they want a photo or they want a selfie or an autograph or whatever, they can actually go to Colney and five players have an hour before uh, on rotation, those five players have an out and they, I mean, there's 10 pitches over there and the, and there's five of them allowed on at any time. So the, the aerial shots you were talking about at Sky News that, you know, that's this, they've got oceans of space just for just five people to go yeah. and essentially do running their individual ball work. You know, they were, they were all given their own footballs. It was, it was that, that level of sort of um, maintaining those, those social distancing mm. guidelines to that extent. they were all given their own bag of balls to use. Um, and so they're not really there's no group work Arteta, the club told me that Arteta wasn't even there so there's not a case of trying to do anything beyond the individual programmes, it's more just about obviously those four players um, had the um, well they were sort of papped if you like breaking social distancing measures Pepe, Lacazette were a couple of them the other two escape me now but um, those four sort of had those um, their responsibilities um, reminded to them and so this is clearly just a safer space for them to go and do that individual work. Some of them, I mean, you'd assume all of them have got massive gardens anyway, but still they're not going to be as big as the, the wide open spaces at Colney. Plus the fitness coaches were there and some medical staff were there who can, um, you know, test them and track them sort of face to face. And it probably is well for the players as much as anything else, gives them a chance to feel like they are working again. There's There's a lot been written about the mental health that, mental health issues that all of us are having when we're having to to work from home or lost their jobs or whatever it is that everyone's going through but you know in the footballer's case it is this is the longest they will not have kicked the ball in anger for for years some of them so um you know just the sort of psychological aspect of being able to go into into work if you like um and be able to sort of see a few friendly faces and um, and sort of uh, change the routine of your working day like that. I think will help them. And I think a lot of the other clubs are going. I think West Ham are already doing it as well today. So I think a lot of the other clubs are going to follow suit and open their training grounds up like this, almost like a private park.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: And what do you think? Um,
0: we, we, we've been asking this every week, really. But it can't, I guess it kind of eventually, you know, we have to. We'll find out. But what do you think? You know, what do you hear about what's going to happen in terms of the, the Premier League starting up again? What you know? Do you have a Do you have a steer, you know, there's talk talk of beginning of June or, you know, first week of June and going behind closed doors and that there were meetings with the government. I think representatives last week wasn't there. And, you know, they they seem to be a general head of steam that they definitely are going to try and start up again fairly soon, albeit behind closed doors. Do you
3: you think that's the way it's going to go? yes yeah, so the, the, they've been modelling for this ever since the it became clear really middle of march that obviously the everybody went into lockdown and then the government nationwide lockdown came into effect um, shortly after that they've been modelling ever since then about how they can get the get the season going again the the idea that the season will be voided i still think is a long shot uh, and it always has been because without getting into it, and this is a separate podcast entirely, the legal yeah. ramifications of voiding the season are, are just unbelievably complex. It's it's it would it would it would take years to resolve that if they were to void the season. So there is a real determination to be able to um, restart again. Clearly there are sensitive issues beyond that of to, you know, football thinking it's it's in, living in its own world when there are, you know, sadly there are people dying every day. Um, and can football really be seen to just try and go back to business as usual if you if you set aside that and if you view it as I think it should be viewed in the idea of trying to give the nation a bit of a, a morale boost something to focus on live sport to watch um, to you know to, to really give us um, a, an uptick if you like i hate that term but i couldn 't think of another one um, yeah. I'll just like, there's, that, there's those daily press briefings of Downing street are doing my you know, changing yeah. my dictionary. Yeah, yeah. Um but you know just giving everyone ramping, a up. Your boots. ramping up yeah. Yeah 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 ramping up. Um but if you look at the if you look at behind closed doors and the logistics of it it, it that is now the new sort of issue to overcome. I think there's a, there's a genuine will from government and from everyone in football to get this current season finished. I do think UEFA have put everyone under quite a lot of pressure by insisting that Euro 2020 brackets, 21, is starting in June next year because it means not only that you, you have to finish this season, but you've got to get the next one going very quickly. And that I, th- I, don't, I think that issue's not been played up enough. I think if UEFA just said, right, we are going to play the European Championships, we're going to do it sometime in 2021, and if it ends up being later in 2021, if it's October, November, or November, December even, well, guess what? You've got a World Cup in November, December the following year. So it's actually not that much of a... A disaster if you were to reshape the calendar for two or three years. And and, and I think if there was a bit more um, grander thinking along those lines, it would have put a lot less pressure on the domestic leads to resume again. However, they are trying to do what they can. Um, but the but the behind closed doors issue is, is a huge one. Where do you have these games? And, uh, you know, in the first rule of employment law, is that you provide a safe space for your employees to work. And how can the Premier League do that when the government guidelines about social distancing are as they are? So everybody's waiting for government. I think if the May the 7th meeting from government is that there is a, there can be some form of easing of, of the current lockdown, then that will give them the window of opportunity to be able to create an environment for the players to play. But I was talking to a couple of chief execs today and yesterday, actually about, about this. And both of them said to me that they still think the idea of a St. George's park sort of style hub is unlikely at this stage. It's more likely that you're going to get a few grounds, maybe let's say one or two in London, one in Birmingham, one in Manchester, that sort of thing and create a create a, a stadium that, um, you know, c- can be a bubble, that players can be put in and play in and leave. But then if you do that, of course, well, where do they all stay? Do they all stay in, you know, do you you put them all up in a a couple of hotels that are cordoned off to everyone else? And if you do that, then what happens with the staff at that hotel? Are they tested? So there's so so many issues around it. And these are the logistical problems that they're going to have to sort out um, over the next few weeks. What I would say is as well, just to finish on this, is that um, the Bundesliga are going to come back first. And that will probably give the Premier League, a real kind of um, indication of what's realistic and what isn't. So they've got it in their favour that they can kind of watch the Bundesliga to some extent and watch them, you know, make the mistakes, you know, do the things right, do things wrong, as I'm sure they will do, to, to get football up and running again and then learn from that and apply it in their own way.
2: James, have you, have you thought any thing at all about the idea of you going back to a game as a journalist like I I can understand fans aren't going to be there have you given any thought about well journalists being there are we going to see like press conferences after the game a bit like you know government ministers taking questions over zoom from you watching the game at home have you thought about that at all yeah well I mean
3: it's um look I mean very, very low on the list of priorities. But I mean, the same way that the players haven't, you know, had uh, this long a break, neither have, I, neither have I, neither have any of the journalists that I know. It's the longest I've not been to a game for a very long time, particularly obviously at this time of year. Um, so, I mean, the conversations that I've had with people about this, I, I think when it does come back, obviously media access will be limited. Um, you know, you'll need you'll, uh, social distancing measures, whatever the ease in the lockdown over the next few weeks and months. I think social distancing measures are going to be in place in some form for a long, long time by the looks of it. So I would think that you know you're going to need bigger, you know, bigger stadium, Wembley. The Emirates is a good example of quite a big press box, quite a spacious press box, so I imagine that we would be spaced out there. I know that they're already talking about not having mix zones, which is where we normally would wait in a huddle for players to come past to try and speak to them for post-match interviews. I don't believe those are going to happen straight away, and I don't think press conferences will either for a similar reason. I would imagine that what would probably happen is that um, maybe the club would do something internally and then distribute that, um, to the rest of us and I would think pre-match I think Brighton are a club that have done a couple of video com- press conferences via Zoom I imagine that might be the way forward pre-match so it will be a, it will be strange I think uh, and it will be strange going to a stadium where there's no fans I mean I, I was fortunate enough to do the game the Croatia-England game in Rijeka which was behind closed doors and that was a very very surreal experience fascinating in the sense of you can hear exactly what the players and coaches are shouting to each other a lot of it not repeatable on a podcast, um, but um, everything's yeah, repeatable I mean,
0: on this podcast, by
3: the way. Well, well, that's <laughs> yeah, that, that, fair enough. Um, but it's 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 something that um, you know it presents new challenges for all mm. of us in terms of the way that the, the way that we go forward. But yeah, I mean, look, I, if if I've given the opportunity, I would love to be able to go. Um, and, and I know there are a lot of journalists who feel the same way. I think we just all want football to start again in, in, in whatever way is possible, and as, as, as close as we can cover it, the better, because trying to cover the sport from home with just your phone and, and the internet is pretty difficult. And am not used to not getting out there and meeting people, you know.
0: Yeah, luckily uh, Sunday Supplement was back yesterday, so we got to see some football journalists chatting, uh, which was great for me. I'm a huge fan of that show. And we'll talk more with James and uh, me and Josh about Arsenal, about um, other interesting stuff about James's uh, career and everything after this break. uh, See you in a bit.
3: If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen,
1: Cooler bike, e-bikes that are cool af
0: and we're back from the break um we've got james ollie from espn formerly of the of, of the of the evening standard james so um before we talk about um what that means for you one quickly i was going to ask because there were i've seen stories today i mean every day really about transfer speculation stuff still going strong but um I have seen a few more stories saying that, you know, Aubameyang is not going to sign a contract. One, the paper I think said the Arsenal were going to give up negotiating or something like that. What's your feeling about Aubameyang particularly at the moment? Is there any chance at all that he'd
3: he'd sign a new contract or should we completely forget about that? I would say there is a chance. Um, I think part of the issue here is, do you remember he used his program notes? I think it was back in February, to describe the speculation that he would be leaving as bullshit, I think was the word he used. (laughs) Um, And, you know, people don't understand and this and the other. I think what the issue here is that the club, my understanding is that the club haven't actually started detailed talks about an extension with him i think they've held preliminary discussions and they've kind of sounded out where he is and what he'd want and the club have sort of stated a rough position but in terms of as, it, as these t- things tend to happen there's sort of a little bit of a you know eyes across a room type uh, <laughs> dance that they that these particularly with the big players as they tend to do and then they sit down and they discuss it in in depth and that really hasn't happened yet and i think that's part of the reason why Abamiang has decided to go public with the idea that, oh, you know, people don't understand what's happening and they're questioning, you know, that I want to go. I think he's yet to receive a proper offer that he can say yes or no to. Uh-huh. Um now that is something that I'm a bit baffled by, I don't really understand why the club would have waited this long, especially when they've made a point publicly in the past of saying, we don't want players to get to the final year of the contracts. We don't want them to run down, you know, Aaron Ramsey star and leave for nothing. If they cut, if they get to a year left, we're going to sell them. I think Rouse, Rouse even on record saying that. Um, so it is a bit of a difficult situation. I know that, I mean, I did a story that Chelsea are, uh, are one of the clubs that are just keeping an eye on this. I, I would be very surprised if Arsenal sanctioned a sale to Chelsea. I think Aubameyang would have to force that oh, through. God, please, no, you know, please. But no. Che- <laughs> well, quite. But Chelsea are, you know, they're they're one of a number of clubs who are thinking. Well, hang on a minute. If they are, if they're not going to offer him a new deal of anything, you know, uh, approaching a, a decent increase on his roughly two hundred grand a week wage now, and they are going to stick to this policy of selling because he's got a year left. Then why not make a bid? You know, it might end up going to the highest offer. I think that's where Chelsea are with it. Clearly, Clubs like Barcelona, Inter Milan, you know, they don't. that There wouldn't be the same issue of selling to a Premier League rival. So, you know, those clubs are probably better placed. Barcelona maybe less so now because there's talk about them only being interested in swap deals this summer because of the, the financial impact of coronavirus. Um, but no, I don't. Look, I don't think anything's really decided. Mm. I just think the big, the biggest surprise there is that they've not made more of a play to tie him down earlier. I, I'm just. The more I dig into this, the more I'm surprised that he's having to sort of sit and wait and twiddle his thumbs and, you know, not be forced into a decision about, right, we really want to keep you. You are our our top goal scorer, one of our best players, you know, sign this deal. He's 30 years old. Sign this deal to give us essentially the last big contract of your career, the best peak, you know, years. Let's, you know, let's do it. They haven't got that far yet. And that's what's surprising about it to me. Mm. That is very really surprising, yeah. And slightly slightly disturbing,
0: isn't it, Josh? But, yeah. Uh,
3: um, Josh, I was just going
0: to mention, before we talk to James about his, his, what's happening with him, have you seen, do you see, look at the pictures of all the cars arriving,
2: all the players arriving at London Colney. I was interested in what cars they were driving. Did you I at, mean, M- Martinez yeah. yeah. had, roo- had the roof down today. I mean, he was loving yeah. life.
0: And he yeah, had some was... red number, yeah, like a red. Do you know what that car was? It was like a, Oh ad- I did, I have a look and and let it was me. flashy. I noticed that Lacazette had a massive like Mercedes Jeep thing. It was like a tank. Um, I did see that. Uh, I mean, where, it's
2: interesting, on. isn't it? When you talk about like everyone should be going out for essential work, I, I love the idea that there's a paparazzi guy there who is uh, is legitimising yeah. this as essential work. I
0: mean, but look, no, I mean, no, no. can I just say if you don't you, you can go out for any work. You can't. That's not actually true. I, I love pointing this out. You are allowed to go to your work if you can't do your work at home. And Obviously, paparazzi photographers are the ultimate people who can't do their work at home, so
2: they are allowed to do what they, their work. That is, that is that's factually correct. I mean, just make that clear. Oh, I mean, look, yeah. I, mean, I enjoyed it, so I thank the guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he should get out more. I yeah. mean, if he could have followed Martinez home and been at his window and seen what Martinez was having yeah. for dinner, I think a lot of people would like to know um, right now what's going on. But I did see that. And obviously, yeah, I think you mentioned it. Was it a BBC helicopter or drone? Something God. was a... Obviously, uh, was it Sky? Um, I guess there's a thirst for information at the moment, um, you know, about anything and everything. Um, But yeah, I did. uh, I did see the cars. Were you uh, were you were you impressed with anyone's over anyone else's? Well,
0: it was, Martinez was the one who had this bright red thing, which I couldn't quite identify because the picture wasn't honed in on the, but I guess not wanting to show their um, number plates. And Hector Bellerin seemed to have a suitably, you know, quite modest car, which is what you'd want from the man who's very green,
2: obviously. What uh, do you make of Bellerin's new hairstyle, Boyd? I know you're a massive fan of his whole look, but with him with no hair, is it a yay oh, or nay? Right. Totally, oh, yeah,
0: totally, oh, yeah, yeah. I think one of the dark days in, in Hector Bellerin's recent um, past was when he had the horrible cornrows and all that messing about with his hair. Yeah, as short sure as possible, I think it's good. I'm sure James would agree on this crucial um, uh, insight into the current Arsenal players.
3: Well, I've got to say that when we um, when we go up there for press conferences, the, the well, the players park in a different car park to us. But every, I think it's Friday, whenever there's a Friday press conference, the, there's a guy who comes in to clean the cars, clean the players' cars. So they bring them over one by one to the back of the press car park. Um, and it's just a depressing cavalcade of how well you've not done <laughs> in your life, you know to, to see Ferrari followed by Lamborghini followed by Merck followed by it's it's it is quite depressing to sort you know yeah. then you see the see the gaggle of crap cars that the press have turned up in, you know not clean, just dishevelled. <laughs> Um, wreck, so yeah, it does It does kind of ram home the difference a little bit, yeah. Oh, that's what you want, yeah, yeah. But anyway, we yeah, should what? talk. talk. Oh, sorry,
2: Josh. Oh, I was gonna say, just did you see about Chesney talking about his
0: smoking yes. in the shower? Yes, he basically admitted he did do it, didn't he? He yeah. kind of yeah. went, Yeah, I smoked,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The story big, uh, that the club sort of a front that front the denied front. at length at the time, but we all knew it was right. He it was, it was an open secret. He used to, I know that he used to, there were a couple of places on the Colney, um. Uh, Car park that they're not covered by the cameras, and he used to go there to be able to smoke so that he wouldn't get picked up.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. Of course, they deny it. Yeah, and now that that's and it's the only he he's talked about it on, on on Arsenal's own new podcast, didn't he? They've got a new podcast where they talk to our players about their experiences. I think I think that's where it came from, isn't it, Josh? Do you know that? That's right.
2: Indeed, yeah, yeah. the the, uh, the Arsenal Nation podcast. Yeah, a few yeah. clubs of uh, Man United have started their own podcast. Yeah,
0: Stolls. it's good that there are yeah, more Arsenal podcasts than ever. You know, there's only 52 now, um, along with ours. I think another one just started up to um, <laughs> start up again tomorrow. That's too big to mention because it's too popular. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of podcasts, but James, talk about your. So you've joined the SPM from the Standard. Congratulations again. What does that mean? For you? What does that mean? A particularly because obviously, Standard is London based. So you talk. You you were covering Arsenal a lot anyway. Do, are you still going to be? Are you now completely generally talking about Premier League teams, or can you can you specialise and focus on certain teams?
3: Um, no, I'll still be doing, it's it's a very similar beat really. I'm still doing Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, the big sort of Premier League clubs. I'll do, um, anything really big in London as and when it happens, but the focus inevitably just because of the popularity of those three clubs will be, um, with them. And then I'll be doing, still doing the England team for, for the national team for ESPN as well. So it's, it's quite a similar, similar job. It's obviously a different audience, a bit more of a global audience. Um, and american paymasters so that kind of brings a different um dynamic in terms of what they're looking for but ostensibly you know a good story is still a good story so um fundamentally things won't change in terms of you know what what i'm what i'll be after and what i'll be covering
0: and has it changed working from home in, in this period has that been weird particularly how, how has it changed for you that what you do
3: it's been very difficult to start a new job i have to say no uh, yeah. for, you know i appreciate for i'm um, very conscious that people are going through far greater challenges than, than mine. But in in terms of trying to start a new job and you know meet new people and you know obviously a lot of, a lot of what journalism is about is you know building relationships and getting out and meeting people and um, you know having conversations in. Various guises in various scenarios, and you can't do that when you're, you know, tied down at home. I mean, in some cases, it's been quite good because you've been able to get older people because you know everyone's at home. At the same time, it's quite depressing when you send messages and you see the blue ticks pop up on WhatsApp and the, and you're still getting ignored because you're thinking, well, <laughs> hang on a minute, you are at home, you can't <laughs> be anywhere, and you're still not replying to me, um, which can be quite quite, quite demoralising. But um, no, look, I mean, it's it's. um it's difficult because everyone's obviously trying to generate um, stories at the moment, and 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 trying to be particularly, you know, having to get quite creative with features. There's only so much many ways you can look back at what's happened. You know, a lot of a lot of obviously just by nature of the job, a lot of what we do is is throwing forward to the future and writing about what what might be and contextualising what's just happened and clearly nothing's just happened because football's been suspended for a month and we don't know what's going to happen next because the future's so uncertain and um, it is a really challenging time for, for, for everyone in journalism, really, to be able to to keep fresh and, and, and innovative and not stray into sort of, um, you know, territory where you're, you're just sort of needlessly, mindlessly speculating or, um, you know, writing stuff that's kind of out of date and, and, and doesn't really have an appeal. Yeah, are you keeping up with did you watch
0: Josh, have you watching the like um you know like Sky do this football show every morning now, don't they, with um Gary Neville and um their, their usual kind of pundits joined by I guess Mercer was on it this morning. I don't know if you saw it, um and Henrik Larson
2: and I, I, I didn't oh. see it to be honest, No. Joe, no. you know I moved house just as this was all well just a few weeks oh. going off and by the time my Sky was they came round to install it, it, it literally two days before lockdown. So it was Lucky timing in that respect, but I just thought well, there's no point on putting Sky Sports on this until the sport again. So um I took the Sky Sports off, so I don't have it. But you know what? I don't miss it. I'm I'm even finding I, an hour of five live or an hour and a half. They they're mainly doing hour sports shows hmm. is enough for me at the minute, um because there is only so much content. And look, invariably, I you know working with ex footballers who are still doing bits and pieces of media, sort of listening to what people I work with are, are on um, and doing. And there's shows, you know, for Premier League productions and some of the foreign broadcasters, which I'm watching just because of the nature of who's involved. But I haven't been watching Sky in the Morning, but it seems like what I f- have felt just working with a few of the ex footballers involved in media is like in the last week, 10 days, there's been a right. This is going on for a little while, so we have to start doing, like, these online shows properly and yeah. commit to them. And there's been, and I think the Sky Show you mentioned, I've seen lots of the clips that get put online, and it's good. You know, it's their top talent. It is Carragher, it's Roy Keane, it's Gary Neville, it's David Jones, their lead presenter. Uh, and it's been really engaging and, and sort of, you know, good to watch. How, how was Merce today?
0: He was good, yeah. What's interesting about it, I mean, just well, I thought to mention with James, it's like you do get it's it's quite retro. So Sol Campbell was on as well, actually. This one, he felt like it almost like a little Arsenal special. Um, and um, it, it's interesting, I have to say, yeah. I mean, you know, it's complete. It, they talk about old old things, you know. So um, I mean, I'm trying to think what they talked. Oh yes, they they Jamie Redknapp revealed that Sol Campbell used to have two massages when everyone else only got one in the England squad. You know, incredible revelations like that, James come up now in these shows where they have nothing to talk about that's happening at the moment in football, so they talk about old stuff. I mean, do you feel like in any way you have to watch any of this stuff to keep abreast of, because random old stories might come up again, or are you like, no, I'm trying to get actually important stories about what's happening at the moment?
3: Well, no, I mean, it, I, I would watch that. I would certainly, and well, I do watch them kind of in my spare time, but no, watching yeah. those sort of things to, to get to get anything fresh out of it is, is no, it's not. that's not no. really it wouldn't really come it's kind of you know at the moment we're just i'm just speaking to a lot of people in the game who who generally are at a loss to to sort of explain what's going to come next because Mm they just it's such an unprecedented time that you know you're sort of used to used to as a journalist ringing people and saying you know within we're kind of with an idea of you know, if you're ringing an agent about a contract situation or a transfer, maybe you kind of already know roughly what's happening. You probably would have run it by someone else first. Uh, maybe, maybe even someone at the club might have might have been able to help, or you know, you multiple source these things. So you kind of go into it with a little bit of an idea. But now, no, just nobody really knows what's going on, and. Um, clubs aren't really able to plan too far into the future because they're all desperate to offset the short-term losses that, that the coronavirus is going to create for them And so, you know, things like, I mean, this isn't an Arsenal related example, but things like the Jaden Sancho transfer is quite interesting that you know, Chelsea were absolutely, you know, had no issue with paying £120 million for him. and they were not bulking at that valuation whatsoever um, and that was pre-coronavirus and now they're already thinking well hang on a minute well actually should we look at should we look at some other cheaper options like a Coutinho who we could potentially get on loan um or other players who you know can we can we justify is is Mm -hmm. life after this going to be anything like Generating the revenue is that is football going to exist in a in a state where we can pay 120 million pounds? Can we possibly justify a nine-figure uh, you know outlay on one player? And when you see Ed Woodward, the chairman of Manchester United, although it's obviously in their interest to drive down prices, I suppose you've got to accept that. But when you see Ed Woodward saying, "Look, you know the transfer windows are not going to be the same. Play, we we're not going to be able to go and necessarily spend big money on big players." With the same freedom that we might have done before, I mean if man United can't afford it, the rest of everyone's in trouble
0: yeah that's that's that that interesting so, yeah I think it's it feels to me like it's such a big Challenge, like what is going to happen? Like almost can't, yeah. As you say, almost can't conceive. I don't think anyone can quite conceive of it And, and, and until I guess we see what happens in Germany. Like you said, it's like what, what the hell is going to happen? How will it affect everything? How will it affect the transfer window? But before we, before we um, run out of time, I did want to ask you about your you know your career without getting into too much detail but what would you say in terms of you know you are living the dream that many people dream of writing about football for a living um i mean i get to write about tv and films for a living i feel that feel that definitely was there one is there one thing in your that got you in that got you you got you your kind of first um footstep in the door or whatever of writing about football properly for uh, journalistically what was what was the key for you
3: I think I, I always want to have an answer to this that is really that is really insightful and really you know it, it unlocks the the door to football journalism. I I think the best thing I can say about this is it. I think it like and I think this is just life generally. It is about having the perseverance to put yourself in the right position often enough that eventually that right position will come at the right time mm. and. That's what I, that's really what I did. I I was, I, I studied history and politics at university. I did a journalism course, an NCTJ course. Um, after that, once I'd sort of gone traveling and came back and thought I kind of need to grow up and decide I'm going to do something with my life. Um, and I, you know, and I, I I freelanced at various places. I, I just, just did anything really that anyone asked me to do, however kind of menial or trivial it felt at the time, um, to just keep putting myself in the right positions with the right people that eventually somebody would take a chance on me. And that, and that's, uh, that, that's all I can really, um, offer by way of guidance or advice is that, you know, I, I ended up, I ended up getting an interview after several interviews that didn't go well um, with somebody who was uh, recruiting for a newspaper called The Sportsman, which was a, a, a rival to the Racing Post that launched in 2006. Um, and I got an interview at the back end of 2005. It, I think it was December 2005 and I, and I'd said to myself throughout 2005 that you know and I, as I say I was freelancing at various places. I was working for a, a news agency getting paid 50 quid a day to go and doorstep people or go to court and court report or you know it could have been anything from one day to the next, but it was sort of a, a pittance really in terms of you know trying to have any kind of life or you know d- scrape together the money to pay rent really. Mm. And I'd given myself until the end of 2005, to to um, to get a proper you know salary job because otherwise I couldn't afford to live in London anymore I was sort of racking up debts and, uh, and you know and I just couldn't afford it and this interview came along in in, in the December and I, and I got the gig and I started in in January and although that that newspaper um, ended up folding in the October of that year it had a really good editorial staff and where I was lucky was a lot because it was so good. Those guys who'd come from the Telegraph, the Express, uh, all you know, very many the Times, load of national newspapers. They were good enough to go and get their jobs back when the newspaper folded. And, and one of them um, was my old boss, who uh, ended up working at the, getting a job at the London Light, which is the free version of the Evening Standard when the Evening Standard was paid for. Um, and he gave me some shifts at the London light and then when he went over to uh, the evening standard he took me with him and that's and you know and I, I was fortunate enough that you know he was able to to you know, he rated me enough to bring me back in a second time after the sportsman folded. But that whole year of 2005, that just taught me that I just had to keep putting myself in the right place, do whatever it takes, however menial it feels. Eventually, because of the way that newspapers are run, particularly you know websites, I'm sure I'm learning now anyway. ESPN, you know, websites—they're all the same in in the sense of eventually they're going to look around the room and they're going to go okay we need someone to do something mm. person a who normally does it person b person c they're not available You're person d whatever it is you say yes you do a good job of it and they'll remember you for next time and the next time will become once a month and it might become once a week and then before you know it you're doing it regularly and then you'll go up the chain from there that's that's I don't know how helpful that is, but no, that's, that's yeah, yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah. I think perseverance is yeah. I mean, it's 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 definitely uh, absolutely key, definitely yeah, completely. Um, well, it's been uh, brilliant to have you on, J- Josh. Anything else you want to mention before we uh, say goodbye?
2: Nothing o- overly pressing, Boyd. Only that I'm very grateful to to James. I mean, he mentioned there about when you message people at the moment and you see they've seen a message and don't get back to you. It's worrying. I thank James for not putting me in that position (laughs) and coming back to us. I was nervous, Um, but no, we're, it's, it feels like once, once the players are back sort of in, in training and, you know, I think one of the um, government ministers on the cultural media committee today has has sort of said that, you know, they've been speaking directly to the premier league and they're conscious that this is going to be a morale boost for the country. It feels like it's, you know, not that far away. And, Premier League football's back, and then we'll have to go back to talking about the game. So we've probably got a few more of these, Boyd, three, four, oh, yeah. and then hopefully football again. Yeah, still got
0: time to get uh, Robert Peston and um, Keir Starmer, as I mentioned every week. Uh, Are you now rejecting Corbyn? Um, Corbyn I, don't mind, I don't mind getting Corbyn on. Yeah, Corbyn will have more time, won't he? That's a good point. He's got more time on his hands, presumably. I'll
2: see he, if, he, uh, if he does the double blue tick to me and uh, if he comes back to me. Oh,
0: you've got direct contact. I'll give it to you. yeah. Get, <laughs> not, get on it.
2: Get on uh, the unsurpri- unsurprisingly, uh, not not a phone number uh, in the phone book no. at the moment. But we we will send in another email.
0: Uh, any other Labour current or former um, uh, leaders are also welcome on the show if they support Arsenal. Um, James, it's been a joy having you on. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking time to join us.
3: Pleasure. Thanks, guys.
0: Cheers. And uh, we'll be back next week. See you next week. Cheers. Bye.
1: 18 plus.